Actually, that just that picture of family is what I wanted to share at the start. Is uh, Timothy came up to me, and um, he wanted to confirm. I know that he, he, it was a big thing for him to come and share. <laughs> he was just a, he's responding in faith, and the picture was just something that he saw this morning in a restaurant early, and when he came in early this morning, just a family. I'm gonna try to paraphrase what you said, but the family, little one looking after the very little one. And just like an entrustment from parents to the older child to look after the very small child. And um, something else had come through also this morning. And I think there's something of even coming back from November, one of the words over us was that we would get off the mother's milk, in a sense, as his children in the household of God. That there's a maturing that the Lord has for us and is calling us to step into. And uh, in a sense, there's an entrustment given to all of us, not just the spiritual parents in the house. So it's not the responsibility to bring you into the presence of God. is not on the worship team or the elders to lead you in. We create uh, moments, we lead, but actually taking care of every precious person in the household of God is, guess whose responsibility? All the children, the church. The called out ones, the believers, God's children, who's speaking to different ways this morning, is actually the responsibility of, of finding Him and is actually all our responsibility as a lifestyle of living as a family. And uh, what a beautiful thing to entrust young ones with even younger ones in a physical sense, but also in a, in a more importantly, in the economy of the everlasting kingdom is, more importantly, in a spiritual sense. It would be a participation of everybody taking ownership and participating in the maturity and the growth of God's people. Because he doesn't want us to stay on milk. Drinking milk in a spiritual sense, but even in a physical sense. God has so much for us. He's called you and I to nations. To nations. One day... For those that are believers in this room, for the majority of us, I would imagine that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will rule with Him. We will govern with Him. New earth, new creation, for eternity. We won't grow old. Think about it. We're going to govern and rule. And there will be responsibility like we've never known it. So why don't we step into responsibility more and more as his children now? There's a question I often ask myself. I think sometimes we're fearful and we can say, I've got stuff and that's holding me back and I didn't have a good morning or I didn't have a good week. But actually, we need to know who our Lord is. Despite ourselves, He says it and He will do it. And if we see Him and if we live in Him, then despite ourselves, we will go on maturing and automatically we will take others with us. We will lead others. We'll take little ones on the journey, we'll take responsibility. I found something very interesting in Scripture this past while. On two occasions in the letters to the New Testament, Paul in uh, uh, Corinthians and Paul in Galatians uh, wrote a letter addressing the you, and he was speaking about matters of the health in the church. The Galatians, he was like, who has bewitched you? Who has taken you captive with false teaching?" You know, it's like, I was just with you teaching you truth, and you have now wandered off. 
into falsehood. You know, in other words, church, wake up. And he called the, the you in that instance and the you to the Corinthians church, which was addressing uh, immorality and sin within the Corinthian church. The you wasn't Paul writing the letter to the elders or the leaders in the church. So he wasn't saying you for this moment, Neil, Mark, and Morris, can you sort it out? His you was the New Testament church. It's me and it's you. It's us. And there's a sense of a shared participation in the responsibility of the health of God's household. How's that? The weight of responsibility when you're called into an office of leadership, if you're eldering or deaconing because it's only those two, is a different weight and it's a calling. But you know the reality is, like that picture Timothy had, we are all going to stand account for the health of the body that he put us in. The person in the home group next to you that you called to disciple and love. The new person that walks in that you've started to build relationship with, take for coffee. To disciple, to love, to speak truth, to show them the way to serve and love Jesus Christ as he commands us to. It's a shared responsibility. And I think sometimes we come in so cold and we, um, we're waiting on someone who might have been in the river of life all week because they're a musician and they generally maybe have band practice once a week. Maybe they will be my breakthrough. I think it grieves the heart of our Lord Jesus so much more than we know because he has made a way for us to live so differently. And I'm hoping this morning and throughout just our weeks and times ahead, he's put on our heart that we, our responsibility is to step in to the source and the river of life, not once a week, not twice a week, not three times a week, but all day, every day to live in the greatest promise that we've ever been given. And do not let, do not, we dare let ourselves get in the way. We've got to deal with something and it's called ourselves. We've got to deal with our, our, uh, all the things, some, even some things coming through this morning, like our fear of man, or maybe I feel unworthy, or maybe I, I just can't, it's nonsense. It's us getting in the way of a glorious God, who guess what? Our Father's done it all for us. The sacrifice of Jesus' his Son has made the way for us to live in such abundance. And we've got to remind ourselves of that. Every opportunity, once a week's not enough. Because tomorrow will come and you'll be challenged to the call. Mondays are Mondays. Hey, we need Jesus. Oh, we need each other. But man, when Paul's writing to the church, he's saying, you guys, together, calling you to remember. How often, if you, if you page through the New Testament letters, it's so often that Paul says, I just came to you, the church. I couldn't wait to talk to you again about this, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Jesus Christ, this beautiful, this beautiful um exchange that took place. He says, I wish we could just talk about the gospel, but I need to address something. But there's false teaching, and you've gone off track again, and I've got to address it. There's sin within the body of Christ. I've got to address it. We've got to root out the cancer, get you healthy again, and then you'll go back to the beautiful gospel. This is the pattern of the New Testament. It's the pattern of the church. It's the pattern of humanity because we drift. By this afternoon, we drift. It's human nature that we drift. And uh I just felt the Lord's heart saying, I don't want you to drift. I've got more for you. You don't necessarily need to drift for too long or too wide or too far. And you know, the answer to not drifting is staying very close because I can't drift if you guys are in my grill all the time. 
And in a sense, my responsibility, and, I, and Taryn and I have lived this way, and people will tell you, and others, many of you have lived this way, I make sure I get in the grill of my Lord, and I get in the face of His people as a lifestyle. And you know what? I haven't drifted. I've, ne- I've, ne- I've not drifted from the life of God and the people of God and uh, the responsibility that He's given every believer. I only walk in leadership because... I've kept going at being responsible and taking care of what's precious to him. And you just, you, by living that way, he calls you to more. And I had such a deep sense of like, the Lord has more for us. He, um, he doesn't want us to drift from his presence. And the way he does that is he makes, he puts us into a place of knowing how responsible we are for one another. And um, that's not what I wanted to share. It's on my heart, so... It's on my heart. It really is on my heart that, um, you know, we have the ability to, to find our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every day, all day, uh, on our own. We don't need one another. He's made a way for us. It's, uh, it's what he's done on the cross. It's what he's done uh, uh, for us. But we do need each other on the journey, sometimes more often than not in the beginning phases and when it's new, but even when it's difficult and uh, you've been going at it for a long time. So I want to encourage us to be ever so close in this season. This past week, the most amazing week, uh, there, were, there were wells created in a number of homes just around worship, seeking God without an agenda. Uh, we had social times. Uh, it was beautiful. I know ladies gathered in the middle of the week as well, had some precious, precious times. I want to say, if you, see, if you see guys missing out on drinking from that river of life, uh, um, bring them along, you know. For me, there's, a, there's always going to be a core within the family of God. There's always going to be those that are running a little bit ahead. It's like that in any family, but it's like that in the kingdom of God. There's those who will go ahead, but there's something of bringing others into the slipstream that, um, yes, as a gift of leadership, many will do that because of their gifting, and, uh, and there's some that do that really well. But it's a grace gift of leadership, pulling others along. Many of you are amazing at that. But I want to say this season, if we, if we can live in the river, in the source, as a people, watch what he's going to do. You know, If it means taking the children from the mommy so that they can drink and have a nut, like Many of you do that so well. We leave our kids with how many of you most amazing kid sitters and lovers of our children and other children. But I want to say this. If you see those opportunities, bless people. Um, Don't wait. You know, it's so beautiful to see that uh, there are people being invited into homes all the time. And, you know, it it may seem like I'm not a people's person. Uh, I can't... uh, uh, um, I can't have people in my home. What am I going to do? H- how am I going to create moments? Well, if you, if, you, if you just do it, you'll see that like, it's the most precious thing in the world to get to know God's people, to open up your life to God's people. It's the most precious, uh, most precious life-giving uh, value that the New Testament church has is that it was God's idea to add lonely people into church programs. And it was also his plan to add lonely people into Bible studies. And 
Am I right? Am I right or wrong? Come on, guys. You're not... Are you all awake? I'm just checking. It was his plan to add lonely people into family. That means the children fall, they hit their heads, you're the first ones there to love and care. Children make another wet nappy, you offer your help, you bring food, you're in one another's lives. And uh, in that place, you begin to encounter the Lord in a way that didn't rely on a program or a meeting. We have sometimes things in place to train and equip, and we have certain days put aside, because guess what, if we didn't have certain days put aside, we would drift even more than we drift. (laughs) So we have some. Bare necessity, the very basic 101 of being a follower of Christ is that we just don't miss our once a week synagogue, church, congregation gathering. It is, this is like, uh, you've got to force me to stay away from my Sunday meetings. I've had a busy life. Don't, need don't, don't miss Sundays. Simple. Don't miss Wednesdays. I think we may have missed out of willful staying away. So maybe we, we might have drifted. Yeah, when Darren was sick, it's not willful, you know, sometimes you have circumstances. But I remember between leading youth groups and I was, <laughs> and um, starting to feel the Lord leading us away from the assembly of God and eventually here, there was a moment where we drifted. And you know what it was? We didn't have an adult home group family in the middle of the week because we were dealing with leading youth. And when that came to an end, we had this, what I call like a danger zone, gray zone, where no adults in the church really were holding us accountable to meeting. We'd come on a Sunday, and we were just having a breather from just what we were doing with the youth. And it was, I remember thinking, this is so dangerous. I could drift. We could get caught up and stuff. And we ran back to the people of God. We ran back to, to the Lord, but also back to the people of God, saying, we need fellowship. We need people. And we needed people in and through our home that was lacking in our life. So we lived in Seapoint, and there was this church in Seapoint, and there was this good friend of ours named Haley Friend. And she was getting into City Bowl at Ryan Kingsley's leadership with Morris and Mark and many others were there at the time. And we came along with her. We was like, this is what we need. We couldn't keep people out of our home. And we couldn't not, you know, we couldn't, we had no time. Everyone was in our face, in our grill. Monday to Sunday, this, this church was living the lifestyle of Jesus. And they were reflecting him. And guess the most amazing thing, it wasn't just the one up front or the one taking leadership in that it was everybody living that way. And that family of God has kept the lonely in fellowship. And it's, and it's given us uh, uh, the richness, the richness of His presence and His love. He loves us. We heard Him sing that. Uh, he loves you and I. He wants us to sit in His presence, know Him, dance in His presence, know what He's done for us, know what He has for us. If we truly know that dancing, sitting, breaking out of our comfort zones, sharing words, looking strange, that becomes the norm because we don't hold back because we know how he sees us. We know what he's done for us. Therefore, all our our gods are down, all our pretenses, all of our fears and insecurities. Ah, Lord Jesus, would you even now just, would you help our family in Greenpoint? Help me, help Taryn, help my family and help us, your boys and girls, to to never be bound by insecurities, to never be bound by feelings of, of, of worthlessness, or I am unworthy, or I can't, or just break it. Even now, Holy Spirit, did you just break insecurity, fear of man? Um, would you break comparison? And would you break these, these strongholds that our enemy loves 
to throw at us. The little whispers of you're not good enough. You haven't done enough this week. You're, you're not worthy. You've, you've messed up. You've made mistakes. Lord, would you break these things and show us that in you, Lord Jesus, we have freedom. We have breakthrough. We have your life this morning. Your mercies are new this morning. And guess what? His mercies are new again tomorrow morning. Let's find his mercy. It is the mercy of God. That leads us into life and holiness. It's his mercy. Nothing, how's this? Nothing we did. I don't know we know this, but we need to be reminded. Nothing we did impressed him. Nothing, nothing, nothing that we ever did and will ever do makes a difference to his love and his mercy that reached down and saw you, Elisha, and called you into his life. He used a few people, but he called you out of darkness and put you into his kingdom of light and gave you faith to see him and to believe. <laughs> it's incredible. And he did that for each of us that know him. His mercy. It's him not giving us what we deserve. I deserve nothing. We, are, I mean, I've been a little bit in the news this week of the world and our country. Entitlement. Everywhere in the world. I deserve, I have a right, I'm entitled to, I should be. It's nonsense. It's, it's anti-God, it's satanic and demonic. Everything of that does not exist in God's kingdom and economy. He's the opposite upside down kingdom. We deserve death. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, and he found us dead. He didn't find us, he didn't find us, excuse me, sort of okay. And then, like, I was all right, but I just needed cleaning up a little bit. And so he's cleaned me up a little bit, and now he's made me useful for his kingdom. He found Neil and you guys, he found us dead. 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 When our life in this body, whatever day it is that it would come to an end, pre-Jesus, whatever day that would end, that would be the end of it for us in this body. And then we would step into an eternity of suffering and punishment and death. He made us alive. The perfect, perfect Jesus. Does get angry. But I think it's a holy anger, right? Do you agree? Slow to anger. But things get him upset, you know? And I, <laughs> let me not go too far down that line. Wow. Quick six points, because every good message has got some points. Because how are you going to remember what I've said? I'm hoping it's going into your heart. Lord, please help this to be a heart-to-heart -heart message. But here's some practicals as well for our diaries that are set for the next three Sundays because you took notes. Those diaries. How do we describe us? Greenpoint, the church, the believers in God that he's called to this area, this time. How do we describe us best? I've got six points. Part one. This will be part one. You and I, those that know the Lord, believers, disciples, Christians, little Christs, many Christs, we are forgiven of our sin. We are forgiven of missing the mark, God's holiness. We're forgiven by the mercy and grace of our Father, of what Jesus did. But more than forgiven, we've been reconciled. It's not a common word, but actually reconciled means we are restored relationally. So Penelope, you were reconciled to your creator, Father in heaven. Actually, you were restored relationally. So the relationship was broken. And now it's fixed. Oh, my word. That alone, if you carry that message alone, 
into the world around you. It's all you need to share with people. I've got something in me. I had a relationship. Actually, we, 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 our creator wanted it with all of us since the garden, Adam and Eve. And mine's been restored relationally. Oh, really? And then you begin to tell them how. And we stumble a bit. But it's the basic good news. And there you have a conversation with someone about a, everyone's got relational problems in the world. Who agrees with that? I mean, we struggle as God's people relationally all the time. What about those guys out there that aren't reconciled? It's just relational chaos everywhere. We have the hope to that inside of us. The first relationship that matters most. And then when that's right, relationally, they can go on and begin to forgive and extend forgiveness. And then the world's relationships begin to get mended as well because of him. That's the first one. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus fixed this relationship. Again, nothing we could do. Because he did three things, Jesus, that we couldn't do. He lived, he died, and he rose again. He lived the perfect life that we would never be able to do. He lived that life for us. He lived the perfect life. Okay? Then he died the perfect death. We wouldn't be able to die the death that he died. We way too, way too difficult for us. We can't take pain. I can't take pain. I'm including you in that. <laughs> Not like what he went through. So he died the perfect death. And even when his will didn't want to go through with it, he prayed that your fa my father's will over my will. And he surrendered. And even Jesus, who was God on earth, at some points struggled with the pain of that death. We know that. But the weight of our sin on him was difficult for him. But he went through. He died the perfect death we couldn't have. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't have. And he rose again, which we couldn't have done either. So he did that for us. He restored us relationally. And the second point, believers, us, we those that have reached the end of ourselves and we've come to the end of our own moral strength, all strength, but I wanted to focus on moral strength because sometimes we do feel like it's a polishing up of um, I've been, I was fairly good, I was doing okay. When we get to the point of like I was never okay and it was only his mercy that took me dead and made me alive, that is when we've realized it's nothing to do with us. Our moral strength has got nothing to do with it. And at that point, we come to him, properly surrendered to my strength. It's hard, eh? I know it's difficult because so often we lean back into our own strength. We, we do. We all go through that. And you can think about in what areas and aspects we lean on our own strength still. He doesn't want any of that. Maturity is when we entirely, entirely lean on his strength. And that takes what we said last week, risking it all on him. Everything that we can possibly do in our own strength and mind and ability, the risk is, it's on you, Jesus. I lean only into you. You're the one. I surrender it all to you. It's good to know how weak we are. It's good to know how strong he is. It's a great place to live. And number three, we recognize, you and I, he and she, the believers realize, sorry, recognize that uh, we've been worshiping other things and not him through our lives. We do. Whatever we give worth to is what we worship. We come to, we come to a point as believers where we look at it and go, you know what? It's the little things that seem so good that sometimes we place too much worth and value and they become objects of worship and they get in the way 
of us worshiping him in spirit and truth, which is what he wants for us. We recognize that some of these things become idols. Some of the things, like family, like career, like finance, like sport, like my own time and space, they can become masters of us. And there's only one master, and it's our heavenly master. And he wants all those things. He wants, you know, he's jealous. When he asks for all of us, he says, I want all of you, Joe. Jackie, give me all of you. And you think, well, you've got all of me, Lord. I'm yours. But then he starts saying, okay, Jackie, you don't have children yet, but I, in, in, in faith. He says, I want your brain and your studies and your perseverance and your diligence. She's smart. Jesus wants that. Over and over again, Jackie, my daughter, give it to me. It's mine. And then he tests our heart. Neil, give me your beautiful wife and your beautiful kids. And they are beautiful. I love them to bits. I know that one day, she'll let Taryn will only be my friend in eternity. She's only my wife for a short bit. So in the light of that, whose is she? Mine or his? Of course, she's the Lord's first. So I have to be willing to give her up, value her, love her. But if I place too much worth on her and Reuben and Rebecca, who's my master then? They are. And he's my master and he's jealous for me for eternity. It's like, phew, these things are, these things are precious. And as believers, we need to have these things in their right place. And uh, we can't do it alone. We don't have the strength. We have to come to him. Rooted in Jesus, know who we are in Him. Keep our hearts soft. Keep things in their right place. Him in the center and everything else of importance, stewarding well. But the master in the center, He wants every ounce of us. He wants us. He wants our strength. He wants our brain capacity. He wants our abilities. He wants our gifts. He wants even the, 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 the talents that He's given us to serve Him. They're His, not ours. Even those can master us, which is the scariest thing in the world. Even the good things that he's given us can master us. And it can look like we're serving him so well and loving him so well. Fourth out of six, a Christian, a believer knows, we know that if we were to die today, fall asleep today, and stand before our Father immediately, boom, I go out of this meeting, I fall asleep, I come into the presence of God. My heart attitude and ours should be, Lord, why would you let me into your presence? Not an entitlement. Well, here I go, Lord, I'm in your presence. Take me home. It's like, why would you let me into your presence? And then I would answer in front of my creator. And humbly I would say, you really shouldn't take me in. Because I, I, there's a debt that I could never pay. But I stand and I thank you, Father, for paying for that debt for me by sending your son as the perfect substitute who died, who lived and died what I couldn't do, took my place. And because of him, I can come into your presence. There's a humility about our eternity and our relationship with the Father that I think is so precious about believers. But we have to be careful of entitlement and I deserve it and... Is anything that I've done to make that relationship happen? Nothing that we've done. It's all him. 
Are you with me? Okay. And the believer is declared righteous in Christ Jesus. We have the righteousness of the Father in His Son, Christ Jesus. We do need to know that because it sets us up from a, for, from a place of uh, victory. Now, I shared this a few weeks ago on a legal fronting, in legal terms, in legal jargon. We are the righteousness of Christ. The way he sees us, the Father, is perfect in his Son because of what I've shared, what he's done. But while we are in the righteousness of God legally, we've only just discovered freedom from that place. We live from a place of victory. Freedom has been revealed to us. Now he calls us practically to live that out. That righteous living, we now get to live out practically, but we get to live it out going from freedom to freedom, living the freedom that he's given us, not living it, falling back, being unsure of where we stand with him. We, we begin to live freedom. He's given it to us, and from one degree of glory, freedom to freedom. What comes with that is maturity because when we live victoriously from a place and we begin to discover freedom when we get saved, right? But as we get older in the Lord, we're not beginning to discover freedom anymore. He's leading us and he wants to lead us to really dwell in freedom and know it. Know it so well that we can lead others into that place of reconciliation. So they discover the beginning of freedom and what he's done for us. It's maturity. It's getting off the milk. It's getting off the bottle. Because if we go round and round, unsure of what he's done for us and where we stand, we can't take others who, who really are locked at the ankles, you know, and chained. And it's only, our, it's only our enemy who wants to keep us bound and chained in the kingdom of light. And he wants to break. Sometimes he has to break those chains. And, but there's something I feel like he's calling us, church, into. That we would be, not be, again, being reminded of the freedom that we discovered when we were born again. We need to go on. De degrees of freedom, degrees of glory, degrees of maturity. And it starts with, yeah, the gospel message, the good news being so central to our life, knowing what he's done for us. We do need to wage war on our sinful habits. We do need to wage war on our personality sometimes, the bended tree scenario. We do need to wage war, but it's not in our strength. We're not waging war as the world does. We're waging war in the spirit, in the strength of Jesus. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, take us forward. Okay, last one. What are we free to do? Number six. <clears throat> it links to the last one. We were purchased out of condemnation. If we're honest with ourselves, how often uh, do we get the voices mixed up of uh, the Holy Spirit convicting us, the way I spoke to somebody? Uh, I love that. For me, someone really walking closely with God, the Holy Spirit's presence, someone who's not cons cons consistently uh, um, uh, let me say this. It's someone who's consistently hearing the voice of the Lord, prodding and shaping and saying, 
adjust, tweak, state of your heart, and you're becoming more like him. So don't confuse the voice of conviction. It's a beautiful voice of God through his Holy Spirit saying, you know what, my boy, my girl, that little thing, it's a little adjustment. It's those beautiful moments when the kids come and apologize and say, I missed it there, dad or mom. And you just go, as a parent, you go, they're getting it. And they're not hiding anything. They're so real and soft and it's, it's the state of their heart. It's beautiful. And that's the same for us and our Heavenly Father. The voice of conviction, point six. But we are purchased through Christ's work out of condemnation. That's a different voice. The accuser constantly condemning you, saying you're not good enough to break free in worship. You're not good enough to dance in my presence. You're not good enough to smile when you gather with my people in the morning. What is that? God smiles when we come together. He's excited to meet with us and worship with us. I think sometimes the believers on earth should be the happiest people on the planet. Like contagiously happy, excited. It's not to say we don't go through stuff, but even when we do and as we do, there's something radiant and like attractive about God's people. And I know sometimes we can't smile all the time. But generally speaking, we should be this overflow of life and joy and excitement, craziness. Because we, 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 we know the accuser's voice. We know when condemnation comes and we can silence it in Jesus as we remain in him and know what he's done. But look for the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Want it. Just when he speaks and it, sometimes it can be challenging. But it's, it's a father wanting the best for his children leading us into more beauty and health and love. Okay, got it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to use something from a, a source. I don't know where these guys are in the world, uh, but it's a group called Dare to Share. They're really cool. They, they focus on helping people to share their faith. They're called Dare to Share. And you might have heard of this, but I think it's called an acrostic. I'll look at Amy. She'll know. She's good with words. An acrostic is when you get like the word faith. And you've got something, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all our trust in him. I think Will Marais used to share that. What is, how do you remember faith? Well, faith is forsaking all I trust him. That's how you spell faith, by the way. But it's cool because, okay, that's faith, Lord. Ah, it's not my strength. I trust in you always, faith in you. But there's a cool one for the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. If you couldn't spell gospel, G is God created us. God created us to be with him. That's the reconciliation of father relationship. G. Then the O, our sins separate us from God. That was the, that was the, that was the tragedy. Okay. S, sins cannot be removed by our good deeds. There's our strength. Our strength's not good enough. Then the P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. There's what he did for us, the perfect substitute. And the E, Everyone who trusts him alone, nothing of our strength, that person has eternal life. Here's the promise. Trust in him alone, nothing of me. And then the L is life. Life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. So the moment we come to know him, that life begins, that moment. Can I go through them again? Okay, sorry, I was a bit fast. G is God created us to be with him. O is our sin separates us from God. S, sin 
cannot be removed by our good deeds. And P is paying, sorry, P is paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. He paid the price. And then E, everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. There's possession. It's ours. It's, it's definite. It's trusting in him. It's faith in him. That's what secures. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's, it's forever. Excuse me. It's beautiful. So I want to ask two questions. I'm going to end it there. And uh, can we stand? Part two another time. The Lord wants to encourage us and remind us and secure us. And um, later on at another time, I think he's got some really good practical handles for us to help us when, we, when we're struggling to, to live in this hope and to exude this hope into the world around us. There are some real things that I feel he wants to unlock, such as fear and things that get in the way or just ignorance of his word or um, various other things. Sometimes we just really lack vision. And I'd like to share a scripture just as we stand, stretch our legs. Uh, you don't have to show it, Dane. It's fine. I'll read quickly from Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Paul writes, so we, the church, we fix our eyes on, not on what is seen. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, temporary, but on what is unseen, the eternal. Since what is, what is seen is only temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on that. That's vision for his people. If you want vision, if you want God to give vision, ask him to simply take your eyes off the here and now and set them on the there and then. Because that's actually what we're living for. There and then is what lasts forever. Here and now, gone in a moment. Eh? So quick. Um, so we need, we need eyes to see. Vision of the eternal. Let's close our eyes. Let's, let me pray for us, please. Lord Jesus, your strength, not mine, not ours, but your strength. And I pray by the strength that you carry in your body, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand right now of our Father in heaven, we glorify your name. As our Savior and our Lord, we say thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your mercy to us for not giving us what we deserve, for not giving us what we're actually entitled to, which is, which is death. You took it from us. <laughs> Our only response to you, Lord Jesus, is one of gratitude and one of saying it's all because of you. All because of you. So I want to ask two questions as our eyes are closed just for a few moments. Are you restored relationally to your Father in heaven? Ask yourself that this morning. You need to be sure. I need to be sure. Are you restored relationally to your Father in heaven? You will know because a relationship means you're intimate, you're talking, you're spending time together, you're hearing His voice. There's no chasm in between you and your heavenly Father. Pure relationship. If you don't have that this morning, I'm inviting you to make that right. I'm inviting you to to allow Jesus to come in and to give you what he died for, which is the gift of salvation, which is the gift of restoring you 
and our relationally with our Creator. So I'm asking that question boldly. You're not restored this morning with your Father in heaven. And you feel it, you know it, even if you're doubting it this morning, just give me a wave or come and stand with me straight afterwards. I can pray. We can ask Jesus into your heart that he can restore relationally what may be lacking. Okay. And make certain, make certain, because you will hear his voice. He says, my sheep, those who are mine, will, will hear my voice. You'll know his voice, and he will hear you. It's a beautiful relationship, and uh, invites all of us into that place by faith in his son. Okay. Uh, and then for the rest of us, a... Um, coming to the end of ourselves, I felt like the Lord just highlighting that, um, our moral strength, maybe to some of us, um, this when I speak about the believer is someone who's come to the end of him or herself from the standpoint of my own moral strength. I've tried morally with my strength to be right with my Father in heaven. Can't. He's not looking for that. Looking for you to put your strength, your moral strength, into the ground. Bury it with his son and take on what Jesus has done for you. So again, I think it's an invite into, into the presence of our Lord Jesus for you. And I, I, I'm not, I just want to say I'm going to hang around here for a few moments afterwards. And I, it would be an absolute joy to pray with some of us. Is there anyone who wants to respond to that invite? Coming to the end of your own strength morally. It's, a, it's the most beautiful place to be when you just, all the effort is gone. You're never tired anymore because it's tiring in our own strength, isn't it? It's tiring. Whereas in Him, in Him, it's, we are free to rest and to yeah, rest in His strength. Amen? I'm going to pray for us as a people. And then I'm going to be here. Mark will be here with me. Please just come forward so we can pray with you guys. I um, don't know all of you here today. It's going to be a privilege, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, <laughs> we thank you, Father, for just the beauty of the good news, the beauty of what you did for us, our Father in heaven, what you gave for us. You gave us your one and only Son. You gave him to us. He died death that we could never die. He lived a life. You lived a life that we could never live pure love for us. You call us into a place of standing in your righteousness and your beauty and your perfection. And so keep us there, Lord, I pray. I pray that you'd keep us as a people so intimately close with you, so secure and aware of what you did for us. And if there's any doubt this morning, Lord, any of your sons and daughters just struggling with the voice of where there's condemnation and there should only be conviction, where the enemy is coming, a louder voice than the Holy Spirit's voice, Lord, would you help us, help your people, because you see maturity for us. And you see, oh, man, you've spoken so many dreams, so many uh, visions over us, Lord. When we come into a place of resting in your presence and strength, we will, we will see and we will realize what you're calling us to. So bless you, Lord. Bless you for your word. We bless you for your promises. We thank you for the life that we have in you, the beautiful family that you are creating us to be. We just say we are, we are yours. 
We are yours in service. And we love you more than life itself. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.